that was two weeks before our wedding. People had already flown in. It was <laughs> like crunch time and I had called off the wedding. Welcome to the Intuitively Aligned podcast, a place for changemakers to cultivate their intuition and foster greater impact in their everyday lives. I am your guide, Sydney Bloom. Welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest, Alana Genera. Alana is an artist, designer, builder, and content creator for Instagram. She shares the ups and downs of making her house a home through her DIY crafting and renovations. Alana, welcome to the show. Hey, Sid. First hey. of all, you're just like <laughs> the sweetest. That was such a beautiful intro. Thank you. So today we've set the intention that we're going to talk about the relationship between fear and intuition. Can you think of the first time that you tapped into your intuition in a way that really changed the path of your life? I'm sure there were many smaller events prior to this, but the biggest one, like the first time where I vividly remember feeling this deep internal intuition was when I got sober. And I know you brought up the topic of fear and intuition. There's been multiple times where I know I need to make a change. Something big is coming. Like you could feel when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's filled with so much fear. And how do you know what is fear and what is your gut telling you? You need to do this thing. Because sometimes fear is like a signal that like, do not proceed, you know, like fear <laughs> protects us. But yes. sometimes fear keeps us stuck. So it's so hard to figure out when is fear keeping me stuck? And when is fear telling me that I should be cautious? In hindsight, I always end up following the right one. <laughs> but when right. I'm in it, I never know. I'm like, oh my God, is this the right one? Like, it's terrifying to make that decision. And then in hindsight, it's easy to look back and be like, oh, that was absolutely the right decision to make. But when you're in it, it's just like, Ugh. I honestly believe that part of your change maker journey is that you're inspiring other people to take action in spite of fear. Mm, yes. So you're someone who's doing yeah, it that. and not letting the fear stop you. And I define courage as feeling fear and choosing to have the heart to proceed anyway. Yeah. I can definitely take you through like three different stories. Yeah. Tell us. And I feel like they go in order and probably because my intuition each time was getting developed and my faith and trust in going past the fear was getting stronger. The first one was definitely getting sober. It was a terrifying decision for me. Like I knew what it felt like to be in pain and uncomfortable and miserable. I knew that feeling. I didn't know what it, it looked like to wake up and feel safe and feel comfortable in my life, in my body, in my person. So that unknown was terrifying. And I also knew subconsciously, like, my partner was probably going to look different. My weekends were going to look different. My friends were going to look different. And I knew there was going to be a lot of change involved. And so it was terrifying. But that one, I feel like the fear is definitely holding you back. Like, you know that if you get sober, your life is going to be better. So that yeah. one was like, I feel like a pretty simple, clear, like, 
this is scary, but I know I have to do it. Like there was no confusion around whether or not I should get sober. It was like, yeah. I absolutely know I have to do this if I'm going to live a fulfilling life. Uh, so I did want it. didn't want to stop drinking, but what I wanted was to feel safe because drinking made my life very unpredictable and very unstable and not just like in my external life during this time looked pretty good like I was doing my master's I was living with my partner we had our own place we were engaged to be married like if you looked at my external life it looked like I had it together I was 25 okay. at the time so for a 25 year old it looked okay yeah. but inside I didn't know what my days were going to look like internally. And so that instability was very unsettling. And I had no control over my emotions and how I would feel that day and what I would do and what I would say. And so that didn't feel too good. What happened was, I call this the first time I heard the voice. I'm in one of my episodes where I'm feeling like really awful. I'm pacing. I'm really in my head. And Normally, my brain is a very chaotic space, like loud voices, talking all the time, just chaos. And during this episode, this like very quiet and calm voice just showed up in my head and was like, go inside, take a shower and go to sleep. It stunned me. Like, I just, I, I remember just being shocked by this voice because I'm like, that is not my voice. That is, wow. <laughs> like, that is not how I talk to myself. <laughs> but it was the voice and I listened to it because it just felt like it brought that calm and that sense of safety over me that I've been looking for. And so I listened to it and that was probably a week before I decided to get sober because this voice started showing up and... I just started listening to it and it was always guiding me to do the next right thing instead of following the craziness that was in my head. By right thing, you mean the thing that felt good for you, the thing that you needed or how would you say yeah, what, like what does the right thing felt, mean to you? The right thing is like that thing that you don't really want to do, but after you do it, you feel so good. It's soul nourishing, but it's not the easiest thing to get yourself to do. It doesn't come naturally. Right. It's not... A habit. I remember consciously trying to tune into it and how I would do that is when I started to get overwhelmed or the like my mind started to get really loud. I would just try to quiet myself. And that's when I really started to develop a meditation practice. Because I know that if I calm down and just get quiet, this voice is going to come and this voice is going to tell me what I need to do next. And if I could just trust that voice and do what it tells me to do, I know my life is going to get better. And so that's what I would do when I felt like I'm spiraling. Okay, time to get quiet. And then I would just wait and I would listen and the voice would show up. And not only in that way, another thing that I, I used to do and I do sometimes still, but when I was really developing it is journaling. So sometimes I would ask, what's the next right thing I should do? And then I would just start writing and it would come through in that way also. But for some reason, like, I couldn't will myself to think these things. They would just come. I call them, like, downloads. I know it's not coming from me. It's coming from my higher self. Like, me, but my very loving, 
healed, whole self. It's just like this source, this energy that I know is just guiding me and wants the best for me. That's an amazing amount of clarity to have, especially going through an addiction and stepping out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once I made the decision, it was, I don't want to say it was easy, but I felt so aligned with the path that I was on that it was giving me so much energy and so much life. Like one of the fears about getting sober is that my life would look different. And so after getting sober, I was with a partner for seven years. We lived together. We were engaged to be married. Our wedding date was already planned and booked and (laughs) ready to go. But getting sober, I changed a lot. Doing the work that's involved with that, a lot of me changed like internally. And the relationship I was in just wasn't aligned with where I was going in life. Mm -hmm. And we had invested so much in each other. We loved each other. And it was also just a really unhealthy relationship, which me being sick in my addiction was aware of, but the pain just felt normal because that's what I was used to being in. But after getting sober and getting healthy and falling in love with myself, it was just so clear how unhealthy the situation actually was. Unfortunately, the way it panned out wasn't the best because it was two weeks before our wedding. People had already flown in. It was (laughs) like crunch time. And I had called off the wedding two weeks before, which again another voice moment actually through music which was really intense I was at home in our apartment crying alone again and I was listening to this song it was a dance song which is hilarious because I was listening to it and bawling my eyes out but it was the chain smokers don't let me down with these headphones on and the lyrics like the the lyrics of the song I knew it was me, like myself in a couple of years is screaming out to me these lyrics. And even just myself in that moment is screaming these lyrics to me, like, don't let me down. Please be there for me. And I just felt this visceral, internal me just screaming out to me, like, girl, you need to get out of here. This is not going to serve you. I need you to take care of me right now. And that means getting up, packing a bag and getting the hell out of here. Which was terrifying. Can you talk about the fear? Because I can only imagine all of the things that would have been coming up that you would have been fighting against to have to listen to that voice and and walk away. Oh, yeah. The fear was, it was insane. Like, I'm walking through the apartment. And if you can imagine, there's like two versions of me floating above me, watching me. And one is like, what are you doing? Like, terrified, like completely panicked, like... Alana, what are you doing? Sit down, take a breath. You guys are going to work this out. You always do. Like, don't leave. And then this really calm, centered, soothing voice like, that's it. Pick up that shirt, put it in the bag, go grab your toothbrush, put it in the bag. One step in front of the other. We can do this. And to the point where like my partner had come home while I was packing and I told him I was leaving. He thought I was bluffing and just went to go take a shower and the scared part of me was like, please don't let us leave. Like, say something. Do, like, she's not bluffing. Like, do something. And the calm self is like, get to the door and just get to your car. Like, keep going. And 
I did. And I got in my car and I was shaking. This is one of those things where I was saying it was progressing. Like alcohol was like 100% this is going to make your life better in terms of giving it up, in terms of overcoming the fear. It's like, this is clearly fear and not caution. Right. Whereas this was like, this is fear or is this caution like, no, you guys can work this out. You don't walk away from a seven-year relationship two weeks before the wedding. What are you doing? Like, Yeah, do you need to be working harder on something yeah. to make it work? Yeah, yes. like, is there something you could be doing? Like, So that's that was where it kind of progressed to, no, this isn't caution. I need to overcome this fear. It's in hindsight that I was like, oh, that was 100% the right choice. There was months, even after calling it off, where I was like, did I make a mistake? What did I do? How do you understand that now as you're reflecting on it? Well, now it's easy to understand it now in hindsight because now I'm with a partner that I love and he loves me and there's no yelling in the house. And my partner now has taught me what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship and what that feels like and the sense of safety that your partner gives you. Like I shouldn't be scared when I'm with my partner. And that's how I felt like I was in a constant state of fear because it was just such an unpredictable relationship. But there was a lot of love, so it was confusing. Whereas now I'm with someone where I just, I feel safe and I feel loved. And I feel like no matter what, we're going to figure it out because we're both willing to try and we're both willing to put in the work. And so in hindsight, I could look back and be like, oh, that was absolutely the right choice. There's no way that my life would look the way it does now if I had stayed. If there's anybody listening right now who is resonating with how torn and kind of complicated it feels when you're in an unhealthy relationship and you're not sure whether you just need to be working harder, is there anything that you would say to that person? I think having experienced both, No relationship is easy and no relationship is without its struggles. So I'm not saying that your relationship should look completely peaceful and there should never be any disagreements. Like that's just not realistic. And I actually just did, I mean, my partner, we just did an Imago workshop this past weekend and they said, peace isn't the goal. Conflict is an invitation to growth. So I'm not saying there shouldn't be conflict because that's where our relationships grow. But when you're with someone and it's a healthy situation, you're both putting in the same amount of effort and you feel Mm -hmm. safe going into conflict with them. I think the big difference is with my ex was when there was conflict, it was terrifying because I didn't know when it was going to get fixed, how it was going to get fixed, if he was even going to show up. There was a lot of unknowns and it was a lot of fear, not so much around the conflict, but how it was going to get resolved and if it was going to get resolved. Whereas with my partner now, fear might come up, but I'm not scared about if we're going to fix it. I know we're always going to fix it. So you made this incredibly brave move. Do you want to tell us what happened next? Yeah, so then it led me to... This new (laughs) fear slash intuition decision. But the months after that, I really dove into work and just kept myself really busy. There was a lot of healing that needed to be done. And so I took a short break from work. I think it was only a 10-day trip. I went to Thailand and Cambodia. And it was the first time I really traveled after getting sober. Because I used to travel 
a lot. When I was drinking, I would save up all my money and probably every six months I would go away. And it was another form of escape for me outside of drinking. When I was traveling, I was the version of me I wanted to be. I was away from all the things that I wanted to be away from. It was my escape. And so after I got sober, there was just fear around traveling. I just, I liked being home. I liked being close to my meetings. I was in my routine and routine is what kept me feeling safe. And so I was so scared to break my routine because whenever you travel, it's a huge break in routine, which I used to love when I was drinking. I was like, amazing. I'm going to like go live this new life and reinvent myself and be this person I want to be. But after I got sober, I was like, I am the person I want to be. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm happy with where I'm at. But after I called up the wedding, I took like a 10-day trip to Thailand and Cambodia. And it was the first time traveling, really traveling sober. And it was so magical because I got to bring me, the version of me that I loved, that I found on my trips when I was there. But I got to bring her with me. And so I had like the most beautiful experience. And when I came back, I was like, I need to do that again. And I think two months later, I booked another 10-day trip to Bali with a girlfriend. And so this is where the next big change happened, where I'm in Bali. I'm in Ubud. For people who've been to Ubud, you know. (laughs) You drop in and you feel the energy shift. It was very soothing and healing. Like I felt like it was just holding me as I brought up everything that needed to be brought up to be healed. It was so magical and beautiful and healing. And so I'm at like day eight, I'm supposed to be leaving in two days and I'm practicing this meditation that I ended up actually bringing to Toronto when I got back called Ananda Mandala, which is really intense. I think people get confused when you say meditation, like you're not sitting there in silence being calm. You're like doing this intense breathing where like some people have visions and like your body starts shaking and like it was really intense and I had finished one of those meditations and I was like I just got a download again that voice like you cannot go home in two days you need to stay here and then the fear crept up and is the fear being like don't run away from life you need to get back to work be responsible you're not a child go home go home go back to your job and be a responsible human being. And what were you doing, by the way, at the time? I was was working for the city of Vaughan. So it was like a very stable job, well-paid. It was a great job to have. It's not as if you were in an in-between place when you left to go on that trip to Bali. In reality, you'd cultivated this very safe, grounded, stable life. You had a good job. And so to make a decision to stay in Bali, naturally, you would be asking yourself, why am I choosing to do this when I've cultivated what I thought I wanted back home? Yeah. Yeah. Like I couldn't tell, am I running away and trying to escape or am I following this intuition that's telling me I need to be here because it's leading me to something greater. And that's with all three, that was the main thing. Like, is this leading me to something greater? And that's always the question that would come up. And with drinking, it's so obvious. Of course, this is leading you to something greater. When you're approaching your 30s and you're ending a seven-year relationship two weeks before the wedding. It's like, I don't know if this is leading me to something greater. That's a risk. Mm -hmm. But it was. And so again, it was like, is this leading me to something greater or am I trying to run away? 
And I remember I called my mom and I was like, I'm thinking of staying. And I wasn't expecting the response I got, which was, I'm so proud of you. And if that's what you want to do, go for it. It's something I've always wanted to do. So that eased a little bit of anxiety. And then I, that next morning I, I emailed my boss and I was like, I don't know what this means for my job, but I'm not coming home in two days as expected. And I don't actually know when I'm coming home, but I, what I do know is I need to stay. And my boss surprisingly responded with, your job is here and let us know when you come back kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was pretty crazy. So I, which can I say one thing before you go on for me, that just hammers in the reminder that for all of us listening to your story, you don't know if you don't ask, I think in life so often we have an idea of what we think will happen. And so we don't even bother to ask because we think we know that the answer is going to be, well, you're fired (laughs) or whatever. Right. (laughs) And so I think that that's just a really powerful example that you did ask and then you got the answer and that actually gave you really relevant rational information from which to make your next decision whatever it is you chose to do yeah yeah. you know so what happened next so we (laughs) stayed and I spent a couple months there and just like really dove into myself and did a ton of healing and like going past my comfort zone and doing the uncomfortable things and just bringing up emotion and feelings in me that feel scary to bring up and sharing them with others and being vulnerable. I feel like when you keep the pain inside, it grows and you create stories around it and it's not a good place to keep it. But when you bring it out and you share it with others, it like lightens the load and you get perspective on it. And It doesn't feel so heavy. Every day I would do some sort of workshop. And so in that workshop, it would be like getting really vulnerable with strangers and sharing what's going on and going deep. And and so that was healing. But then even just doing like ecstatic dance. Like I remember the first ecstatic dance I did in Bali. I was, I just, within like three minutes was just bawling, like just stomping the floor and just like getting all this energy out that needed to come out that I was just like storing in my body. And I was just crying and like, being in the space with a bunch of people and there's no judgment like everyone's just doing their own thing and it was like I'm I'm releasing all of this stuff in my private little space but I'm surrounded by people so there's also this deep sense of connection and being connected to others while releasing this I think most of my healing has been done in connection with others that's probably all of my healing has been done in connection with others and connecting with others and being vulnerable and allowing myself to like cry and stomp on a floor in front of a hundred other people. Like (laughs) it's so weird to say and do, but like, oh, that's where I got my healing. That resonates for me too, because it, it both resonates in terms of what I experienced when I went to Bali actually, but also for many people listening, maybe not for everybody, But for those who live in a very individualistic society where the rhythm of our days is wake up, you know, get ready, go to work, spend your time at work, come home. Oftentimes, when we're going down a certain road in life where we are following the shoulds, if you will, like, oh, I should go to this job and I should 
do whatever it is that we think we should be doing, whatever we think is the responsible adult thing to do, there actually isn't an obvious place to go to release what we need to let out. And I think for many people, and it's a privilege to be able to do this, it isn't until we step out of our lives into an experience that isn't what you would be doing in your everyday life that you can suddenly tap into the safety of being with a group of people who have chosen to be there doing that work. That was <laughs> beautiful. But it really resonates for me. Like, what were you going to do? Go to your job at the city of Vaughan and then afterwards see if you could find a place where a bunch of free-spirited people could move <laughs> safely without feeling judged for crying and dancing and, you know, doing whatever needed to be done like that. It does. It actually does exist here. But if you don't even know that that exists, how would you even know to look for it? And at that time, I didn't even know that's what I needed. Like if you were to ask me, what do you need to do right now to heal this pain that you're going through? I don't know that I would be like an ecstatic dance party. Like <laughs> that wouldn't even come yes. to my mind. But over the years, what I've learned is my healing is done with people like I love that you brought that up because I never made that connection but now I'm looking back and it's like I can only heal when I'm in relation to people I cannot heal in isolation and even getting sober I didn't get sober by myself I went to AA and my home group was the largest home group in Toronto it was over a hundred people and so my first meeting of going there I've been sober for 24 hours and there's a hundred people just clapping and cheering. And I just felt so held in this room. Like these are all strangers. And I felt a deep love from them. And one of the slogans in AA is you're no longer alone. And that's hundred percent the feeling I felt at my first meeting. Like I am not in this alone and these people are going to love me and they're going to care for me and they're going to support me and I'm going to heal through them. And I 100% did. And yeah, even in Bali, there were seven years of pain from that relationship that I needed to let go of so that I could be able to show up in my next relationship whole and, and not carry that baggage with me. And I did that healing with people. Like I wasn't alone. When you went to Bali, were you signing up for a program or were you sort of free-flowing through your days and discovering these different places that were offering workshops? How did you know where to go? <laughs> it's so funny. If my friend that I went with is listening, <laughs> she can attest. I went on this trip very controlled. I had an itinerary and I had spreadsheets of like <laughs> what we were going to do because we were only there for 10 days and it's 30 hours to get there. So I'm like, I am going to soak everything I can from this experience. And our mutual friend, Erica Grenchy, had yes. gone like a few months before we left. And so I reached out to her and I wasn't going to Bali to heal. I didn't know what was there, but I saw her Instagram photos and it looked beautiful. And I'm like, that looks like a great place to go. Let's check it out. And I reached out to her and she recommended some things to me. And so I put them in our itinerary. But then getting there was like a totally different experience. Actually, a massive part of the story, which is not even intuition, but just like divine. Oh, my God. Divine timing. Yeah. I met a girl at our connection flight to Bali who was also going to Bali. And we just talked during our like the break between connections. And 
when we landed in Bali, she had nowhere to go and she didn't have a plan. And I'm like, why don't you just come stay with us the first night while you figure things out? And we ended up living together for the two months that we were there. And actually, when I left Bali, I went back to work for two months or even a month, I think. And then I went to Italy with her to teach yoga at this. Wow. Like, yeah. So and that's where I lost my job. <laughs> Well, actually, my boss was like, your job is still going to be here when you come back from Italy. But something happened. And so our agreement was no longer valid. So I I ended up losing my job, which was a huge blessing in disguise because I wasn't meant to be there. As we know, in hindsight, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing now. I think a part of me when I messaged my boss in Bali was hoping I would lose my job. And I didn't. And so I went back to my job. And I think me going to Italy was more of an escape than it was like Italy's going to progress me forward. But I went with that intention. It's just the teaching yoga thing in Italy didn't work out as I had planned. Like the the retreat center we were working out of it wasn't well run. So it wasn't aligned with what I wanted to be doing. Right. But it did do the thing that I was too scared to do, which was quit my job. So I found out on my flight back that like, I'm going home to no job, which again, the fear of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I had a little bit of savings left. And again, divine timing. My cousin was living at like right by Trinity, like really hip area, Queen Street, like backing onto Graffiti Alley. And she was leaving for the summer to go to Italy And she needed someone to sublet her place. And so without a job. So this is another fear moment where I was like, the smart thing to do is to go back home, get a job, go back to my parents' place, like be safe, do the responsible thing. But I was like, no, I have this very small savings. (laughs) I'm going to go and sublet an apartment downtown. And my goal was not to get a job. Like I wasn't going home to apply to different places I was like I want to become a coach I want to teach this Ananda Mandala meditation and offer it to the world like I really wanted to do the things that were feeding my soul so you're living at your cousin's place that you've sublet for the summer and you're on this journey of really following your heart and following your intuition around developing as a meditation guide and moving into some of the modalities that you've been practicing while you were traveling. I know that you met your husband, Ark, that summer as well. Can you talk to us about the next big moment where you felt guided into your intuition? I know that there's a really incredible story around the house that you and he built together. And I think it's such a powerful story because shit went down And in the end, you created something that to me seems like your most aligned path as somebody creating impact in the world. So would you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it was. I love how you summarized that because it was this massive stepping stone into the life that I'm living now. But while I was in it, it was a complete nightmare. (laughs) And I remember you, I remember talking to you and you were crying and just oh my god, piecing it together. Yeah, I'm going to get into it. But like to summarize, it's the being willing to let go of something 
and the idea of something that you've put so much energy into being able to let that go to invite something greater in. But what that looked like, so Ark and I bought this little bungalow in the East End and we tore it down and we were going to build our family home, what we thought was going to be our family home. And something that's been consistent through my life since I was a small child is I love crafting. I love building. I love design. Like that's just always been a huge part of me and my personality. So when we had this opportunity to build this house, most people would hire a designer to, you know, make all those big choices. And Ark trusted me and encouraged me. I was full of fear around it, but he trusted me and encouraged me and was like, you can design this house. Like you can do this. And, and so I took that project on it on my own. Like we didn't have a design consultant or anything. So that was my first. And you were pregnant, right? And I was pregnant. Yeah, I was. No, no, actually we broke ground when Noah was two months old. So I was two months postpartum and also the start of the pandemic. So we're talking, this was April, 2020. Yeah that you broke ground on this house project. Yes, April 2020. And so when we were in like full, full lockdown, I was still able to go to like these tile shops. Building the house was such an amazing opportunity that I just never imagined I would have. And I know it was like such a privilege to be able to do that. But while that was all happening, I was experiencing really severe postpartum depression. Like I was not okay. I was not in a good place. And Designing the house was like a breath of fresh air. It gave me the relief that I needed in those moments. So it was really therapeutic for me to like throw myself into this project and not so much focus on the isolation that I was experiencing with this massive change that had just happened in my life. So I'm really grateful for the project, the fact that I even got to do this. I just want to say when I did my design choices, like I would spend hours just like ruminating over a certain choice because we weren't building a house to to then sell. Like this wasn't an investment project where we we're like tear down the house, build it, sell it, make a profit. This was going to be our family home. And so I really wanted the home to reflect who we are. And so I put so much into it, like so much thought, so much love, really poured my heart into it. And so that being said, when we moved in, it was almost immediate, like within a couple of weeks that like, there's a chance we might not be able to stay here. We had a situation with a neighbor that had just escalated to the point where Ark and I were feeling so unsafe, where we didn't sleep for months and like way too much information, but like, I didn't take a solid shit. (laughs) (laughs) for like two months because my nervous system was shot like I would hear a sound and I'd panic and be like oh my god what's happening like there was so much fear and and you should never be scared living in your house like your house is your safe place where you go after a long day to restore and refresh and my house my home was a place where like I was in a constant state of fear and anxiety because the situation had just escalated to the point where it was like really unsafe. We know that all you wanted all along ever was to feel safe. Yeah. 
that was the very first thing that you shared in your story. And so here you are, you've built your dream home and not only can you not relax, it's actually very scary Yeah. out of respect for the situation. And for even for the neighbor that was a part of it, we're not going to get into the details, but needless to say, it was a very scary experience. And, and so you and Ark were faced with a dilemma that I think nobody would ever even imagine when they set out to not only build a custom home, but actually design it from scratch as you did. So tell us what happened next. Um, we were sharing this with people that were close to us and we were thinking about like, I think we have to leave. Like, I think we have to move. People were like, you just built your dream home. Do not let someone chase you out of your home. You need to stay and this will pass. And I just, me and Ark were so torn because it was like, we did just build this dream home. We did just move in. We only lasted six months there. When we did eventually leave, we had only lived there for six months. But we were like, do we stay? Like, and what it came down to was, I don't want to live like this. Like you said, like, I want to feel safe when I come home and nothing is worth my peace. And I think that's, like you said, has been my journey. Like alcohol was taking my peace. It had to go. This partnership was taking my peace. It had to go. This job was not life-giving to me. It had to go. And those decisions aren't easy to make. But... I feel like I've just put so much work into taking care of my sense of safety and peace that like I wasn't going to allow this idea of this dream home that I had built keep me in a space that didn't feel safe. And so there was this massive mourning period of like a couple months of just mourning this idea of what we thought our life was going to look like for the next few years and in this home and all the things we had planned. And I had to let that go so that we could move forward and do the, do the next right thing. Like that's a perfect example yes. of like the next right thing. Like I don't yes. want to leave this home like this. I built, I put so much into it. Like the last thing I want to do is sell this home, but it's the next right thing to do because it's affecting our health physically and emotionally and mentally. Like, Mm -hmm. We need to leave. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in selling that house, it's so funny because I designed the home and it ignited this thing in me of like, this is what I want to do. I want to design. I want to build. I want to create. I want to craft. But there's not much to do in a brand new home. Like it was brand new. There's like, what was I going <laughs> to work on? Mm -hmm. It was all perfect. And so in selling that house, one of the criterias for the house we were buying was that it needed to need work done because I wanted right. to do the work. Like I wanted to make our house a home. And so when we bought the house we're living in now, there was just so much potential. It's a 15 year old home that is builder grade. Like n no one did anything to it. Like it is exactly okay. how it was when it was built 15 years ago. And so it just felt like a blank canvas to me. I'm like, this is so exciting. I do just want to go back and say, when we were going through the house stuff, I was working with a coach, Robin Blackburn McBride, and she gave me just a beautiful piece of advice where she said, when we only have one idea of what we think our best and highest good looks like, and we're clinging to that one idea, we don't allow the universe to bring in other options. 
Like we're not open to something greater than that. Right. And so like letting go of this one idea of what I thought it was supposed to look like and being open to like, maybe this is an opening for something greater. So you had to let go of the house that you thought would be your forever home, your dream home, custom design. And in doing so, you were able to open up space for this new home that you bought that has actually really been the blank canvas, as you were saying, of what you're creating. So can you share a little bit about the work that you do and what you create and the mission there? So before we moved into the house, the first project that we did, me and Ark actually did together, where we like had scaffolding and like had to overcome our fear of heights. And we redid our ceiling in our living room using a technique called shiplap or like a design style of shiplap on that ceiling. And we just had such a good time doing like we were laughing so hard bickering like it was just it was such a good time and that was probably the first thing that I shared of us physically like doing any building work because prior to that I was just sharing about design and so that was like the catalyst like everyone was just so interested in that and I was like oh people like this this is fun okay I'm gonna keep sharing about this like creating this home we will put Alana's Instagram in the show notes. And if we can find that one highlight reel from them doing that first project on the new house, we'll pop it in as well. Yeah, I think I do take you through like the step-by-step process that we did. But how I want to bring intuition into this is when I designed our first home, because it was such a huge leap for me, I had a lot of fear around it of like feeling unworthy and feeling not capable and feeling like, I didn't go to school for this. I shouldn't be doing this. Like all those thoughts. And so my design was very safe and very like the stuff that I would find on Pinterest and in the magazines and that I really connect. Like I still brought pieces of us in where like I used stone tile that looked like wood because I really love bringing in those natural elements. So I still did things like that, but it was a very safe design, which In hindsight, I'm really grateful for because we had to sell it. So I think if we had to sell our house now that we're living in, it might be a little bit more difficult because moving here, I really stepped into wanting to design from a space of being authentic. And for myself, it was connecting to my inner child. Like, like this is my home. This isn't for anyone else. Because when I designed my other home, I imagined like people walking in, what they would say about it and wanting to impress them and make it look beautiful. And with this home, I'm like, this is my home. The only person this home needs to make happy is me and my family. And so what would I want my space to look like and feel like that would bring us joy and bring us happiness? And it is not following (laughs) the design trends that are in right now. Like after doing the shiplap, I redid our, our powder room and my made, favorite project. <laughs> and I made Sorry. it like this little secret garden. Like I got these pebbled stones and poured them on the counter and then poured resin on top to seal it. And so our countertop is like all these little tiny stones. And like I put greenery on the walls and flowers hanging and it, you walk in and it feels like you walk into this like little secret garden. And it's by no means something that... <laughs> you would find in like a chic design magazine 
But when I walk in there, it makes me so happy. And when we do have friends visiting, the kids love it. Like they come out and they're like, wow. And it ignites like this imagination and awe. And I love seeing kids react to it because that's what I want. Like I want my home to feel like we're in this magical place. And, and I even built this huge sign in our foyer that says believe in magic with like the extra shiplap that we had. And that's what I want my space to be for my kids is like a magical space. And so just really trusting my intuition because fear always creeps up for me when I wanted, especially that project. There was a lot of fear around it because I was like, oh my God, am I gluing flowers to my wall? Like people are going to think I'm crazy. And just like there was a lot of fear and it did get a lot of negative feedback actually on Instagram. People tore it apart, <laughs> but it brought me so much joy that I didn't care. So I think where I'm at in my journey of creating is like really trusting myself and just doing what I love. And if it makes me happy, then that's all that matters. And, and just, you know, I think part of the magic in what you're creating and the real impact that you're having in the world and also through your Instagram account and through what you're creating now and in other spaces in the city of Toronto is that you allow yourself to be authentic. You allow yourself to be vulnerable. You're showing up with your joy and your creativity. And, and that is the place from which you're creating. And in doing so, you're a role model for every other person in the world, every other woman who has only seen men picking up power tools and never knew a woman could do it for moms who may have tiny babies, but just really want to have like that splash of color in their home for people who maybe don't even know about design. Like I'm not someone who's necessarily seeking to design in my home, but I love following your account because every time I look at what you're doing, it reminds me of the power of being in our authentic selves and following our joy. And I think that is the most powerful impact. Yeah, it makes me connect everything with all the big decisions that I've made. The first question is always like, what should I do? And then it's like, let's get that out of the way. It's not what should I do? What do you want to do? What's going to progress me forward? And I, with my last project I did, Noah had this dresser from Ikea, it was unfinished wood, and I wanted to give it a, a facelift. And it was Noah's dresser. And so my mind was like, what should a boy's dresser look like? And I, right. like, it wasn't sparking joy for me. And then as I was progressing through the design, I was like, ooh, I want to, like, add these little beads. I was really into watercolor at the time. And I'm like, how could I incorporate watercolor? And I started playing with, like, different modalities. And I found this, like, muslin cloth that, like, I could watercolor on. And I'm like, oh, maybe I can, like, glue this cloth onto the face of the dresser. And, like, I ended up creating this super girly, like, flower, green, bubbly dresser that is now in my living room and not in Noah's room. <laughs> and so it just, like, transformed it to something completely different. But it brought me so much joy to create because I wasn't following the shoulds and I was following the, like, what do I want to make? What's in me that wants to come out? And, yeah. I think that's the most powerful gift that you could give 
to anybody who's listening to your story as an ending note. It's not just about starting to tap into your intuition. I think we come into our own intuitive alignment so that we can then expand into that dimension of multiple possibilities of your highest good. Even the dimension of creating for your own joy, in doing so, you're able to have a broader impact because other people are witnessing you. And then that is inspiring them to think about what could be possible if they followed their joy. Just wanted to say something real quick. When it comes to power tools, for me as a woman, I, I never really saw women working with power tools. And so it was a scary leap for me to take. And I get a lot of messages of like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. And I want to make it very clear. I am not using power tools because I'm confident and comfortable with them. It is very scary. I still have a lot of fear using them, but it's something that I want to overcome because it gives me so much control and so much power over my environment that I don't have to wait for someone else to do it. I could do it myself. And so if you're waiting for a time to feel comfortable to take that step, if it's something you want to do, like you said at the beginning, like courage is not moving without fear. It's moving despite of it. So it, it is going to be scary. And so just because I know we didn't really talk about like power tools and women, but I love that. Alana, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and being raw and for sharing your story and so many different dimensions of your life. It's just been so inspiring. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. It's been, yeah, you're just magical to me. So if this has been my pleasure as well. To our audience, I want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, share, or click the notification button on your podcast platform. For those listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for a five-star rating and a written review. This will also make it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you want to connect with me more, please join me on Substack. I will be posting longer-form written pieces about my intuitive changemaker journey, as well as bonus audio content and having online discussions with the Intuitively Aligned podcast community. You can also find me in the Third Eye Library on Mighty Networks, through Instagram at Sydney Rebecca. yes, that's Sydney Rebecca without an A on the end, or through my website, www.sydneybloom.com. I also want to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Wilson Lynn, and I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode.